Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Grammar Girl here, I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language, writing history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, I have a meaty middle about why we call alcohol spirits and hard drinks, a quick and dirty tip about the word phenomena, and a family-like story about creamy noodles. One of our listeners recently wrote in to ask why some types of alcohol are known as hard alcohol. Aren't all liquids soft, not hard? We looked into this question, which led us to exploring some other interesting words for alcohol. Here's what we found. First of all, let's look at the word hard. It's a very old Germanic word, so old that one of its first recorded uses is in Beowulf, the epic poem written around 700 AD. Maybe because it's so old, the word has come to have many shades of meaning. It can mean firm and unyielding, rough and abrasive, or stubborn and obstinate. Another meaning that developed early on was harsh and unpleasant. It makes sense, then, that in the 1500s, it started being used to describe alcohol that had a sharp, acidic flavor. A hard wine was one that contained a lot of tannins, compounds that come from grape skins and seeds and have an astringent flavor. A treatise on good manners written in the 1500s notes that, quote, "...neither hard wine is pleasant to the taste, neither haughty behavior acceptable in company." Unquote. Another sense of hard that developed over time was powerful and potent. That's the sense we use today when we refer to drinks with a high alcohol content, like vodka, in contrast to ones with a lower alcohol content, like beer. The final sense of hard we'll talk about is the sense of an action that involves great force or that a person does recklessly. From this sense comes the expression of someone being a hard drinker. It doesn't mean they drink hard alcohol, although they might. Instead, it means they drink persistently and drink in excess, not usually the best combination. One other fact about hard drinks. You might think of them as the opposite of soft drinks. Today, when we use that phrase, we think of sugary, carbonated beverages like Coke, Pepsi, or Dr. Pepper. By the way, if you care about punctuation, take note. The doctor in Dr. Pepper does not take a period. If you have a problem with that, talk to the ad executives who decided in the 1950s to take it out because they thought it would be easier to read the name on the bottle without the period. They were Americans, so they would normally use a period. 
But I believe the British don't usually put a period after the abbreviation for doctor. But Dr. Pepper wasn't owned by a British company at the time. The term soft drink originally referred to any beverage that was non-alcoholic, such as lemonade, soda water, or ginger ale. That usage appeared in the mid-1800s in an advertisement for an establishment offering hot mutton, custards, and soft drinks. Sounds yummy. Let's jump back a minute to when I mentioned that certain drinks have a higher alcohol content than others. These drinks, brandy, gin, whiskey, rum, tequila, and vodka, are created by distillation. That process gives us a hint about another word that's used for hard alcohol, spirits. Spirits are made by taking an already existing beverage like wine and heating it in a still. Because alcohol has a lower boiling point than water, the alcohol in the beverage will evaporate before the water does. So if you collect the vapors rising from the still and let them cool and condense back into a liquid, you'll get a beverage with a higher alcohol content than the one you started with. And what might those wispy vapors look like rising into the air? A ghostly presence, a spirit, if you will. Another possible explanation for why we call alcoholic drinks spirits is that a person's spirit is considered the most essential part of their being. In the same way, alcohol has long been considered essential to life, whether for palliative, medicinal, or recreational reasons. In fact, some historians believe that the reason our primate ancestors came down from the trees in the first place was to eat fermenting fruit lying on the forest floor and that early humans began to plant and domesticate grains not so they could make bread, but so they could make beer. One thing we know for sure is that for centuries before the advent of modern sanitation, drinking alcohol was often better for you than drinking plain water. That's because alcohol is produced by fermentation, and when grains and fruits ferment, they produce not just ethanol, which can kill bacteria— but also many other vital nutrients, including B vitamins like folic acid, niacin, and riboflavin. In fact, one of Noah Webster's biographies describes his usual breakfast as bread and beer, which wasn't the red flag back in the 1700s that it would be today. And we'll end this segment with a final synonym for alcohol, aqua vitae, which is water of life in Latin. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as DragonflyEdit. If you watched the children's program Sesame Street growing up, you probably recognized the little bit I sang earlier. Phenomenon do-do-do-do-do. Well, it turns out I was remembering it wrong. In my memory, they were saying phenomena. But when I watched the clip on YouTube while I was working on this segment, I realized they were saying a nonsense word, menomena. Still, whenever I hear the word phenomena, I think of that Sesame Street skit, and I'm nearly certain I've heard other people refer to it, too. And if you need a good laugh, the video is still funny after all these years. Either way, phenomena and menomena are fun words to say. I actually plan to talk with the savvy psychologist in a couple of months about why some words sound so much more pleasant than others. But for now, I'll just help you remember the spellings of phenomena and phenomenon because they're easy words to confuse. 
Today, phenomenon means a fact or a thing that happens, and we usually use it to describe something extraordinary or at least unusual. For example, ball lightning is one phenomenon that I've never seen. Phenomenon comes to English from Greek through Latin. According to Adam Online, in Greek, the word meant that which is seen or appears, so essentially the same thing it means today. So its meaning hasn't changed, and you still make it plural, like you make Greek words plural. The plural is phenomena, ending with an A. It's just like another word that came to English directly from Greek, criterion. That's the singular form, criterion. Just like phenomenon is singular, and its plural is criteria, which ends with an A, just like the plural phenomena. He outlined all the criteria they were going to use to make their selection. There are more strange phenomena on Earth than you can possibly imagine. A quick and dirty tip to help you remember that phenomenon is the singular form of the word is to remember that the singular form has an O near the end in that non-syllable, just like the word one, O-N-E, one singular. Finally, I have a familect story from Bill. Hi, Mignon. This is Bill from somewhere in Canada, and I have a familect story for you. When our kids were young, one of their favorite foods was fettuccine alfredo. For reasons that are a mystery to everyone now, my wife started calling the dish creamy noodles, and that was how it was known in our house for many years. Our daughter was almost 16 years old when she went away to boarding school. Within the first week, the cafeteria at her school served, you guessed it, fettuccine Alfredo. She, of course, said something like, oh boy, my favorite, creamy noodles. Her friends all looked at her like she had completely lost her mind, and it was only at that point she finally learned that creamy noodles was not the generally recognized name for the dish. I still remember the phone call where she accused us of purposely perpetrating a massive practical joke that was apparently 16 years in the making. Our daughter has since graduated medical school and has finally forgiven us, I think. However, we continue to refer to fettuccine Alfredo as creamy noodles. It's kind of an inside family joke, or at least it was until now. Love your show. Keep them coming. If you've been listening for a while, you might remember that I talked about noticing themes that keep coming up in people's voicemails. And Bill described another theme that I've been noticing a lot that children don't realize the word their family uses isn't the standard word until it comes up when they go out in the world and their friends tell them, what, dustpans aren't Studebakers? What, fettuccine Alfredo isn't creamy noodles? Thanks, and remember, if you want to hear your family story on the show, the story of a word your family and only your family uses, your family dialect, Leave a voicemail message at 83321-4-GIRL. And be sure to tell me the story because that's always the best part. I'm Mignon Fogarty, Grammar Girl and author of the New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. And I'll be back Monday night with an interview with Cecilia Watson, the author of a surprisingly delightful new book titled Semicolon, The Past, Present, and Future of a Misunderstood Mark. It even has a story about how the semicolon influenced the sale of spirits in bars in Boston in the early 1900s. I loved the book, and I think you'll like the interview, too. For now, thanks to my audio producer, Nathan Sims. 
This show is part of the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network, so check out some of our other shows like Savvy Psychologist, Money Girl, The Mighty Mommy, and more. That's all. Thanks for listening. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.